Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife, and my guests are from the sound team. Steve Morrow, production sound mixer. Nice to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Perry Robertson, supervising sound editor. Also, welcome back. Thank you very much, Good, Nice to be here. And joining us for the first time, Will Files, re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor. Welcome to Below the Line. Thanks, Good. Nice to be here. And a warning for listeners, spoilers are possible during today's discussion. This movie has kind of an interesting history. You actually filmed it entirely pre-pandemic. In fact, I remember two years ago when we were talking about the Oscars, you guys were on, and I think we were talking about this about to, you know, that this was in post at the time. Give me a little more of a sense of uh, what the schedule was for the release of this film. Yeah, well, originally we filmed it, uh, we finished filming in October 2019, and it was supposed to come out, I believe, the July of 2020. There was going to be reshoots uh, to just additional photography that ended up getting pushed into the COVID you know, world that we ended up shooting, uh, I believe, September 2020 to fill in some story gaps and, and do a little bit of uh, you know, post ADR and things like that. So yeah, so that it, it got pushed, you know, a year and a half, I think, from the scheduled release uh, due to, you know, COVID and, and the world not being able to see the theaters. And Sony really wanted the audience to experience it in theaters. I, I think Jason also wanted that. So yeah, that's where it pushed. Yeah. And then Will and I, well, Will got it and asked me to help. And that was in, I think we looked at it October, November mm-hmm. of where are we now? 2020, 2020, 19. Yeah. <laughs> I don't it's even know where we were. Lots <laughs> <laughs> happened uh, in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And then we, uh, we worked on it up through May. Uh, once COVID started, we actually kept working and made it up through 2020 and we made it up through what we, you know, pre-dubs and, and a little bit of the final, but then they wanted to, record and use a full live orchestra to do the music and they couldn't do that with COVID going so we had to stop down and to be honest with you uh i think i don't know about you guys but i think it made the movie better it definitely did yeah we would have had to rush to get everything done by the july 10th thing and so when they moved it back it gave I think Jason, a little bit of breathing room, and it, it gave Steve and the guys time in the to go back on set. Yeah, I think it was great that we had some time, or Jason had some time to look at the movie and do some additional stuff and fix a few things. And the visual effects, I think, definitely got better. I think he did a couple of little tweaks that actually made the movie a lot better. And... Um, I mean, not that it was bad in the first place, because I love the story from the beginning, and I know we all did. And but it gave us a chance to really slow down a little bit and and think about the process. And Will, I know, had some chances to go back and and really look at some other uh, sound effects. And you know, I, it was. I think COVID actually was a good thing for this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the original schedule was very uh, ambitious. <laughs> 
um you know they they had a they had a release date they were targeting and they really wanted to get it out for that date and and i think it actually you know it feels like a big summer movie so in a lot of ways i wish we could have made that original date but um circumstances being what they were i i actually think it was really good for the film that we had more time to to work on it and it wasn't just this crazy mad rush to the end we really had a chance to to try some stuff. That's my favorite version of the creative process is when you have time to try and fail because then you inevitably get to, to take bigger chances and bigger swings. Um, and we definitely failed plenty on this one. And Jason wasn't shy about telling us, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, that that's, uh, that's actually how you get something really cool is you get to try some wild ideas and some of them stick. Yeah. I would uh, hate to do the, marshmallow men in a really fast oh my god uh, we would we would have killed each <laughs> the other marshmallow men i mean that's something you know perry and i both uh, had a fair amount of pain and chris certainly had a lot of pain, uh dealing with those marshmallow men that that was the hardest nut to crack actually believe it or not i mean out of all these you know big concepts that we had in the film that one was the hardest one because it was like trying to um come up with the you know character voices for you know a hundred characters <laughs> and make them feel distinctive but similar and you know really find the performance that jason was happy with i think it's important to say you know based on this is that jason the at least i've worked with him you know for 15 plus years and i think jason has the movie in his head like he knows exactly what it is and it's everybody else's job to to put it out and put it exactly how he imagined it. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to understand what he's already imagined in his head and it's hard to get it out, but he knows when it's not the correct thing. And then he knows when it's exactly right. But I think there's, there's those moments where you go, okay, but he knows exactly what it is. He just, he can't tell us in a way that we can get it until we've tried and failed a dozen times. Right. And then he, and then he finally goes, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah. And you have that wonderful moment when you all realize like, okay, we found it. We found the, the vibe that, that, you know, this, that's correct. And then you, you try to apply that to everything else. And so with these little marshmallows, that's interesting because it's a, it's a throwback, but then an expansion of the original in the sense, it's not just one large marshmallow. They are <laughs> countless. And that's just, Steve, what's the set aspect of filming that, by the way, when it's going to be heavy visual effects, but there's a lot of little on the set interactions with actual people that need to be captured. You know, the, the biggest goal in Jason's attempt to make this movie was, you know, let's do everything as practical as possible. You know, so like the terror dogs were practical uh, unless they're running around. Right. Um, the sets were these giant set pieces. I, I'm sending you pictures of those. I mean, these are really cool looking sets and, and, and experiences. Obviously, the little marshmallow men are just, you know, we're going to do those in CGI, but they had little models of what they look like. So everybody could have under, you know, kind of understand and. Uh, when Paul Rudd's character sees them the first time in Walmart and they're popping through the the bag, there's, you know, there's an effects person doing a little push through the bag. So he he wanted it to feel like the original movies where you had to do everything practical. There wasn't a ton of visual effects back then. And so he didn't want to do that on this one. So it's kind of fun, you know, to to watch that and to be part of, you know, just getting to see 
you know, a Roomba driving down the, the aisle <laughs> and they'll, they'll add some things on top of it. I mean, those are the fun things about filming a, a movie like this where you get to really see it versus just imagine it's going to happen. Well, doesn't it, doesn't it help um, you guys and the actors like when you're in the, um, the, the cave or whatever, you know, that you're on an actual set instead of just being on a, a green screen trying to imagine what's there. I mean, I would think it's better for you guys and for the actors. Oh, I think, yeah, I think it's better for, for everybody. You just get to really see what it is. Also, it's just the magic of making a movie all of a sudden. It's, you know, you're not on a blue screen set where you're just going, okay, this will be great later. <laughs> it's you'd walk into a stage and you go, holy crap. <laughs> they have spent some time and effort making this look as cool as this is going to look for the audience. And I think that that comes across in the movie, especially with kids, you know, you want them to be, that the actors in the movie are, you know, a lot of them are kids and they're all great actors, but there's just an amazement. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. When they fired the, um, when, when they find Muncher for the first time in the, the abandoned, you know, you know, factory and it's Phoebe and podcast firing that gun and sparks are flying and flames are going. And, you know, we got the shot and we cut for the first time. The kids just erupted like, Oh my, did you guys see that? This is the most amazing thing. And honestly, like the adults in the room were like, oh yeah, that was cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you got to see it from a perspective of kids because we've done it a thousand times, right? We've done it over our careers and we've blown stuff up and it is cool, but you forget sometimes how cool that really is. This is what we do for a job. So you know, just to get to see it through the kids' eyes were just really fun through throughout the whole filming process because they would be, you know, amazed all the time when we slathered podcast with the, the marshmallow at the end of the movie. It's like, <laughs> this is a kid. He's just like, he's so thrilled and so excited to be just smothered in marshmallow. I mean, this is, that's the joy of making this movie. Well, in talking about the marshmallow men, that's a throwback to the original film. Anyone who's seen the film knows there's a lot of ties back. Um, and that there is an intention to have this movie relate very closely to the original series. But I think that's also true, and I want to hear more from you guys about some of the iconic Ghostbuster sounds that I also noticed in this film reminded me of the sound effects and the music and just the entire sort of sound landscape from the original movies as well. I'll start from the production side of it. I think Will and his team sent me sound effects uh, to use on set, and that was to help the kids know when the, you know, the proton pack was firing, when it was turning on, you know, we used the original sounds that Will was able to find. He can tell you how, how we found it, but we used it on set just for the kids sake, um, which also helped Jason, you know, and the, the camera department know when the, when the gun was firing, when it wasn't. Um, and that was just kind of a fun thing for us to be able to play back and just kind of watch the kids and and see when they would flip the switch and we would try to time it the best we could uh, to give everybody the full full vibe uh, of when it was going on and, and will how did you where did you find those well uh, luckily someone along the line in the last 40 years has done a pretty good job of um, uh, researching and finding all these old materials and archiving them in the uh, Columbia Sony archives and we did a deep dive with the archivists over there and they turned up all this cool material, including um, the original uh, 32 track uh, score recording. So like, you know, all the all the different 
mics and, and raw elements and overdubs for the score. That was incredible. And we sent that to Rob Simonson, the composer. Um, and then on our side, we dug up all the, all the stems. So the dialogue, the music, the sound effects stems from the original two films. And then we also uh, dug up the uh, sound design work tapes from the original film. So um, the original sound designer was a, was a guy named Richard Beggs. And back in 84, um, you know, of course, everything was done on tape. Uh, so there was lots of uh, outtakes on these tapes of sort of alternate versions of the sounds that we know. Um, so that was really cool because we were trying to create this world with this with this film where everything sounded familiar and yet not just wanting to use the same sounds over and over again. And, you know, we also have the, we had the pack that had, you know, been in a barn for the last 30 years. It doesn't, you know, nothing is, you know, Ecto is not in the kind of shape it used to be in and all that stuff. So, um, and we also had some new tech that we had to, that we had to develop. And also we had the, all the old um, machines and stuff were doing things that they didn't do in the original film. You know, we're, the, 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 we had to extend the world quite a bit. So it was a really amazing thing to find all the, all this source material, which had this, the takes that you know and love, you know, it's like almost like when you, when you listen to um, alternate takes of a song that you know really well, and you go, well, that's the song, but it doesn't have those little things in it that I know. Um, so it was really cool to hear like almost like his exploration process and then, you know, oh, that's the one that I can pick there. Okay, that's the one that we know. But then we were able to mine all kinds of useful stuff out of uh, these alternate takes and then turn them into all kinds of new material. You know, we've got like the trap field, you know, there's like a hundred traps going off at the same time. We've got, you know, we've never been as close as we are uh, visually to the, to the pack itself. You know, Jason designed this beautiful moment in the middle of the movie where she turns on the pack for the first time after she fixes it. And Jason, the camera lingers over the machine in, the, in this way that's very tender almost. And it's, it's very intimate. And, and that was the, the most fun single moment of sound design for us to do. In fact, that was the first big thing we did for him. And that was the kind of thing where having access to all this old material and outtakes was super useful because we were able to make new sounds out of these old sounds you know, we were able to take uh, isolated elements and run them through um, particle systems and Dopplerize them and things, things like that to, to make like, okay, we want it to sound like the, like the, the stream, you know, that we know from the film, but what does that sound like when we're behind the, the actual device and we see it spinning around and like, okay, how can we suggest that it's the same kind of energy and technology that's behind this plate as what's coming out of the stream in the other films. So that was a really fun challenge to try to figure out how to make it seem familiar yet fresh and also old and crappy and <laughs> that it barely works, you know? And, and the fun thing is uh, on set, you know, we do the opposite. Ben Eady made that pack, right? And, and the thing is spinning inside. Well, of course that thing is, is noisy, right? It's not gonna sound like the original pack. So we're lingering behind it. And you know, on set we're like, oh my gosh, this thing is so noisy and the kids are <laughs> next to it. 
how do we turn it off as soon as we don't see it? You know, because <laughs> we have to protect the dialogue and we know we got to replace it. So we're sitting there going, oh, God, this thing is so noisy. Jason, why would you want to do that? <laughs> you know, obviously, we're we're concerned about the dialogue, but it is it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and the effects guys were able to obviously turn it off when we don't see it. But it was it was one of those things where it's like, please don't shoot this with two cameras with the dialogue on the kids and a close up on the pack because then we're stuck with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's our selfish need for sound. <laughs> and you know, what's funny, Steve, is we actually ended up using a couple of those pr practical sounds in that sequence. Like there, there's a sound at the very end when she finishes firing that you, it, you hear it, you hear the guy, you know, you hear it turn off basically. And, it, and it, you hear it wind down and it kind of, it's a little squeaky almost. It goes, <laughs> and, and um, you know, of course we added a bunch of other stuff there, but there was something to that, that it just had a, a flavor of reality and authenticity that Jason always loves so much. So I left it in and it, and, and that's it, me begging Ben, please, when she's done, at least when she's done firing, can you yeah. turn it off? <laughs> be great. Cause it gives it this, you've got this moment of like this big pop of energy. And then at the end, it's kind of like an exhale, you know, the machine is kind of like, ah, I'm tired. And so it really worked out. <laughs> and also just having to be honest with podcast flicking the um, Polaroid, oh, right? yeah. it's almost like, how do you know how a Polaroid works? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i gotta tell you a story when when he's riding in the car with gruberson and the windshield is blown out after they you know you open the trap for the first time right and podcast is sitting there just thrilled that the, the car has exploded before we do the scene jason asks you know should we have the windows down or up let's try it down you know and uh and podcast is looking around and he goes you know where where do i well where's the switch and they explained to him that it's a crank. And he goes, what do you mean a crank? <laughs> oh, geez. He's young oh, wow. enough to be that he's never been in a car without electric without electric windows. And we're talking, tell him how to do it with the crank. And his eyes are just like, this is incredible. You, you crank down a window? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It was, it was a moment where everybody on set just felt old. And <laughs> all, you know, all felt old. I got to go to the Comic-Con in New York. That's where they basically premiered it. They surprised everybody there but it was a room with 3,000 people in it and they thought they were just coming to hear uh, talk with Jason Ivan and the cast and at the end Jason showed up and he or came out and he goes well my dad and I think it's been long enough we're gonna show this to you guys now and the place went totally nuts after they watched it and I mean you know they would go past one of the signs or something when they're driving up to the house and they'd start whispering to each other and I'm like, what are these people seeing that I didn't even, I've worked on this thing for two years. I have no idea what they're seeing, but they're such nuts. They remember a couple of frames from, you know, 1984 or whatever. But anyway, after we were done, these, these uh, press people sitting behind me found out that I had worked on the movie and they too came up and go, did you guys use the actual sounds? And I said, oh yeah. That's so cool, man. I wish I could have been there. <laughs> I know. I do have a story from set talking about kind of the original, um, you know, experience and Ivan Reitman, you know, it was just kind of this fun moment at, at the beginning of the movie you have, uh, well, I, I'll try not to spoil it, even though I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but <laughs> you, you have the ecto blasting out of the, the mine uh, and blowing through gates right and it's like a locked mine and he blows through these gates well the the ecto that we had was a souped up you know cadillac v8 full 
I mean, these guys did a great job. And this is a heavy, heavy car, right? I mean, this thing weighs, you know, 8,000 pounds and was blown through suspension and all sorts of stuff throughout <laughs> the whole shoot because they would rip in this thing around the corner, which, you know, in the original movie, you know, back in the 80s, they didn't quite have that beefy suspension or, or engine. I, in fact, the story was on set, Ivan was saying, you know, this thing would barely go over 40 miles an hour. And we <laughs> ripped, I mean, the, the stunt guy blew through those gates at 70 or 80 miles an hour and just ripped past us. And and the way that we filmed it was, you know, the entire crew was safe, but we were all on the side of the road and because it was a giant field and a ditch, you know, between us and the rest of the world. So the stunt guy rips past it and just rips past the entire crew. And we cut and Ivan said, that is the fastest I have ever seen that car go. <laughs> when, when we made it in our day, it couldn't go past 35 and barely turned a corner. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, you know, that's not your father's. Uh, and he literally said, this is not your father's Ecto-1. <laughs> I just thought it was great. And, and Ivan and Jason, everybody had a great time, you know, laughing about it and just having a good time with it. And it was, and it's a very sweet thing that Ivan was there as much as he was. And on set and Jason would, you know, they would collaborate so tightly to make sure that this movie did live up to, you know, Ivan's original dream and original idea because it was such a special family film for both of them and so i think it was important all the way down the sound you know that it that it came out the the right way you know it, it was a very much a, a labor of love everybody involved understood that this was like an ode to to the 80s you know to make sure that it that it lived up to that yeah and on the other side i mean we we actually talked to jason you know when we were mixing about it and he you know, obviously, he said the hardest thing was sitting there with his father right next to him directing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that for yeah. three or four months, whatever it is? You know, but um, I think the sweetest thing for us was we we did a final playback, and and Ivan was there, and when we were done, he was in tears. I mean, it was it was special, man. It was. It was awesome for all of us to to be part of, for sure. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was really an incredible moment. Yeah, this is a. I mean, when you're when you're talking about making a Ghostbusters Afterlife movie, which is basically Ghostbusters three, you know, I think everybody knows that it's Ivan Reitman directed, you know, the originals, and Jason Reitman, his son, is going to direct this this one, which is you know, thirty years later. And to be honest, most of the crew, uh, the the core onset crew, have worked with both his dad and uh, his son. I mean, I've done most of his son's films, and I did Draft Day with his dad. And it, this is a big, this is a big family affair. You know, you have to, especially a film family. You know, you have to, you know what's what's on the line. Everybody's there to make the best movie possible, and all the fans you know, are going to kill you if you do it wrong, you know? And so it's like, you know, not let alone the pressure on set to do it right. And the pressure just to do it right for the fans, because this is really a fan driven movie. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of things in there for the fans, you know, you can watch it 10 times and find something new each time. Um, and so it was important, you know, for, for everybody to get it right, especially, you know, especially, for Ivan to to feel like we're treating it with the respect that you know that it deserves after thirty years, um, and I think that that was important to everybody. Everybody knew it, 
while we're making the movie. So it was fun to watch and the joy that, that Ivan got out of certain things on set, like the Ecto, you know, being able to go, <laughs> go above 40 was, you know, it was fun. It was fun to watch. And, uh, and Jason, I knew felt the pressure because who wouldn't feel pressure from your dad, you know, watching over your shoulder, something that, that he created 30 years ago and that you're trying to, um, you know, trying to honor. So, but it, it was a lot of fun to make this movie with both of them. I'd be remiss not to mention the exchange between Phoebe, who's played by McKenna Grace, and she's talking to podcast, uh, who we mentioned a couple of times, uh, Steve being on set, who's played by Logan Kim, and she asks him, why do people call you podcast? And he answers, I call myself podcast because of my podcast. And I just, I'm sorry he got there first. I wish I had thought of that. Uh, but uh, I guess I'm stuck with Skid. Guys, it's been great having you on the show today. We're going to call it a wrap. Thanks so much for being here and sharing these stories. Thank you. Below yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners, as I've mentioned before, these shorter episodes are an experiment, and I'll be grateful for your feedback. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me or just learn about the podcast, please visit our website, belowtheline.biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll find contact info, past episodes, and links to all of our social media. Guys, going around the table, what are you working on now that will next see your work? Steve, what's up with you? I did the Olivia Wilde movie, Don't Worry Darling, and then uh, uh, Damien Chazelle movie. It'll be out at Christmas. I think Olivia's movie is out in September. Damien's movie um, uh, will be out in uh, around Christmas, and that one is called Babylon. Perry? Um, I am working on a new... I don't know, a limited, limited uh, series called The Offer, which is basically the stories of how The Godfather got made, which I have to say is one of the most fascinating things I've worked on in a long time. Man. It's really fun. And Will, what about you? Uh, well, I most recently uh, finished The Batman, um, which is out now. Um, and right now I'm working on the next season of Stranger Things which is a hell of a lot of fun. And actually right across the hall from Perry, so I get to see Perry all <laughs> Well, all of these are uh, teasers for future episodes, so guys, plan on coming back. My shout-outs are the regular bunch. Curtis Vi, thank you for our music. John Juan, thank you for our logo. And to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line. You know, that's always the, the best way to get something really cool is if you get to sorry hold on that's oh, that you okay <laughs> i'm doing separate tracks now so depending on where it's coming from maybe i can fix it but okay. if it's on your track it's on my track i'm not yeah i could send it back yeah, to you yeah. and you could run it through you know yeah. the levels and things and just clean it up but i don't think i can do that on my own <laughs> well we've got some good software for that very very <laughs>